What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're you two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. And yes, that's right. You're hearing Hayden Vozar's voice for the first time in about three months, I think it is. I think the last time I did an episode, or the last time I was on an episode, was maybe end of August. Or no, I think, I think it was the very beginning of September. So it's been over three months at this point that I have been on the show. So I'm, I'm sure that all of you listening are probably so happy to hear my voice. I know it's like me whispering sweet nothings into your ear and Matt next to me, I know is, is thinking the same thing. He's, I, I know he's happy that I'm here, happy that I'm back and on the pod because we all know that it's, you know, it's, it's best with the two of us in my opinion, at least my humble opinion. So yes, back from, um, back from the dead, it seems like, but not really. I was just grinding this semester. I had a huge, Huge workload this semester just with work with UVA football and then also with just schoolwork. Like it, it was just a lot of work in general that I had to do. Um, so I took a little sabbatical from the podcast, but I'm happy to be back, like I said. Um, and we're going to be talking a lot of football, college football, well, NFL, college football, NBA, and MLB at the end. We're not going to do any rundown because we haven't really been doing like rundown is really only one of those things where. We do it when we've been when we've been doing episodes consistently, and we haven't been doing that. Matt's been trying to get him out here and there, solo podcast, which I commend him for doing. Didn't really say thank you to him for that, but I need to. So, um, yeah, thank you for, to him for doing that. But yeah, rundown not really applicable in today's episode. I think we're kind of just gonna try to go over the big topics that have been happening over the past couple weeks slash month ish in the sports world and just give our, our opinions on them. Cause there's a lot of big news that it, that's come out since I've been on the podcast. That's for sure. Pretty much the whole NFL season and college football season has gone by. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt here just to kind of talk about uh, where he's been, I guess, or, or why maybe he decided to, to not do as many episodes. I know it's hard to do a solo episode, so I'm not blaming him at all. I think that it's, he did more than I expected him to. So um, again, kudos to him for that. But Matt, how are we feeling? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I, at least people know I'm alive, though. I think people probably thought that you were dead. So um, <laughs> probably, yeah. You know, hear your voices a little bit, uh, a little bit better. But they also hear the intro music, and that was probably the biggest key. Yes. Uh, if you're a hardcore first town rundown fan, all all seven of you uh, are probably less <laughs> than that at this point. Um. So yeah. So you hear the intro music, you know Hayden's back, and and that's fine. Um. I almost had to. I, I basically had to get him to do this podcast to begin with. Uh. So you know, just kind of pull him behind the curtains there. Um. You know, it was a little a little tough to even get this one up there. Dude. Because he's home for for winter break ish and whatever, so um, so yeah. But I did a podcast. I think each of the first two weeks of the NFL season, maybe three. Um, and at that point, I I uh, I, I kind of fell off again. Uh, I didn't do one for then about a month. And I think at the end of October, I got one in. Maybe two, maybe two more. Uh, and then pretty much ever since November started, I haven't. Uh, so it's been about a month again. So I, I basically took off like the like September to October, and then like all of November. But but hey, I mean that's it, it again. Like Hayden said, it's it's a lot to kind of do every week, especially setting aside the time. That's really the biggest thing. I like to do it, and I said in the other podcast that I did, even though I was kind of sitting there talking to myself for an hour, I love to do that. But it, just, it it's like you know with you know having a job and and doing a bunch of other stuff. Like it's you know it you you. You, you can only find the time to do so much, and obviously, you know, this is a passion project of mine, so I, you know, arguably should be spending the time or finding the time to be able to do it, uh, but I think, too, you know, given the fact that Hayden was kind of MIA for pretty much the entire time anyway, um, you know, it, it was kind of like, it, it was it got a little bit discouraging kind of, you know, as, as we went through um, kind of the, the back end of the 
uh, or, you know, about halfway through to the back end of the regular season here. But, but yeah, so I think, I mean, at, at this point, I feel like that's enough of our, uh, of our excuses as to why we haven't released any podcasts. And, and, that, and that one thing I do want to mention too, and I, I kept saying this kind of in the other podcast that I was, that I had done, especially kind of closer to when the season was starting. Cause we did a bunch of preview episodes. I mean, we previewed every single yeah. college football conference. We previewed every single NFL division, you know, like team by team, win total projections, you know, conference championship, all that stuff. And, and so I kind of carried that momentum into the beginning of the season when Hayden kind of had already said that he was kind of going to not really be there. And and those episodes got a ton of, you know, a ton of downloads, a ton of listens, even those solo ones that I did by myself at the, you know, kind of at the beginning of the season, like when Aaron Rodgers got hurt and all that. So people were listening to the podcast and that was kind of my thing is like, I probably should have been more motivated to even to do it because now, you know, as, as the past, I think the, the two that I posted since kind of the beginning of the season, those two in, in late of October haven't really gotten as many listens as, you know, as, um, as 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 the previous ones were kind of trending for so um yeah so so we at least need to kind of continue to get this get to get this rolling even if we just kind of sit down on a weekly basis and, and, and crank one out and even if it's not an hour long or whatever so yeah that's exactly right and like matt said i think he kind of summed it up perfectly when he said that this is a passion of mine as well i hate having to give this up for three months straight like you know i thought about it many times kind of throughout those three months but i knew that giving this up in order to focus in on my schoolwork, focus in on my last year of college, having fun with my friends, not really having to worry about sitting down on, you know, a, a Tuesday or Wednesday night and spending an hour recording, then another hour editing and uploading. Like it's, it, well, now we, I mean, almost all of our episodes go over an hour. They're usually about one hour, 10 minutes to one hour, 20 minutes. So doing that and then plus an, another hour of editing, it's it's really like a two and a half hour ordeal on nights that we just record and then other than that you know outside of just recording we have to do research for this sometimes have to think of topics have to kind of write out what we're gonna you know a little a little plan of what we're gonna do in each episode so it's it is tough like it, it does take up a lot of time a lot more time than I think people realize at least in in our world you know we don't have professional editors that we can just send it over to and they can edit it and whatever because we don't have those kinds of funds and we also don't get paid for this so Again, it this is for you know the love of the the love of the game as as we like to say. So yes, I, I'm glad to be back on this episode, and I'm glad to be back for the next. I'm I'm gonna say about a month uh, because I think mid well yeah mid January I do go back to school, and I am gonna have a little bit of a lighter schedule next semester, but I'm still not really sure, and I don't want to make any promises now whether I'll be able to actually go throughout the whole semester. So hopefully I will be able to, hopefully we'll be, I mean, you know, it's not going to be football season, so it's not going to be that pressing. I don't think we're definitely going to get um, March madness stuff out. Like I, I will be there for that. Trust me. It's not, that's, I'm not going to miss that because that's, I mean, our podcast I think does the best out of any episode ever, or it, it does the best at that time of year than it does at any other time of year. Even during football season, our, our, our episodes don't really blow up like they do uh, during March Madness. I'm like, our March, our March Madness previews are some of the best episodes that we do. So I promise right now to be there for that unless I, you know, well, unless I do go MIA again, unless I do die in that case. But, well, we won't think about that. Um, if we have nothing else to say in this intro, I know it's been kind of a long one. I kind of anticipated this just to kind of let you guys know where we've been but uh, I don't think that I said the date either. It's it's Thursday, December 14th. But um, we're going to head right into the NFL. My, my head's kind of discombobulated. So our first topic here um, is that 
you you guys all saw in the Chiefs game on Sunday afternoon um, after at the end of the game. The Chiefs had this really cool play. I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard about it, but we'll just go, kind of go over it for those who, who don't know. And just to give a little bit of ba- background context, Chiefs, Chiefs had this really cool play at the end of the game. There was about a minute 30 left on the clock. I think they were down by four. And um, Patrick Mahomes throws the ball downfield to Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey starts running upfield. He probably gains like 35 yards or so. And then out of nowhere, he just hits this backwards lateral, like halfway across the field, chucks it, you know, Patty Mahomes style to Canarius Tony. Canarius Tony then takes it in for a touchdown, and the Chiefs have scored, assumably, and are about to go up by three if they if they make the extra point. But it's called back by the refs because Canarius Tony lined up offsides. You don't even see that very often in the NFL in in football in general. As a matter of fact, it's been called I think seven other times. No, it's been called eleven other times this season. I think. I think it's like twenty. That was the big thing, and not to kind of get ahead of us here, but like that was the big thing that kind of came out of that was two years ago they called this they called offensive offsides I think two times total throughout yeah. the entire season. Last year they called it I think three times total throughout the entire season, and already this year they've called it I think at least twenty times. Really? So that's kind of the I mean to, to kind of start up I guess kind of what we're you know kind of getting at here um, that it is a, a much more frequent call as of this year. Clearly something that you know in the off season the NFL and the refs and and kind of whoever decides how they you know how the games want to be called, you know, made an emphasis on this, um, you know, probably because, you know, they were able to figure out that some teams gained some sort of advantage. I, I don't know the exact reason, but but we definitely have seen a lot more calls, you know, basically like 200 times, the, technically 200 times the amount of calls that we saw just two years ago, right? Yeah, well, I, I think that they're probably implementing it because they just want to get the game right. And if we have a lot of technology that's able to, you know, that's able to give us the advantage to, to make really, really close calls on the sideline, you know, slow motion technology and pylon cams and everything like that. Technology that's able to kind of give us a, a leg up in making calls that are really going to matter towards the game. You might as well start calling the nitpicky stuff on the offensive side because, like Matt said, I mean, again, like you don't really see it on TV or it may not be apparent, but it could give you an extra step on the defender in terms of yardage like there there's a certain amount of a lot of times defenders line up a certain number of yards away from the line of scrimmage just in their in like as their way to line up um that's just how a defense is run a lot of times you know like the the backers will will line up you know five to seven yards off the ball and then the safeties will will line up you know 11 ish to 15 yards off the ball depending on what the defense is so it's like the the defensive players are lining up based on where the line of scrimmage is. And so if you have a guy that's offsides, even just by a little bit, like especially like Canary's Tony. I mean, the guy, he's like a human. He's, he's, he's been called the human joystick before. So, um, you know, the guy like that is, is really going to be able to kind of get a, a step up on you really quick before you even know it. So that's probably why they've been calling it. But the, our main point here is uh, Patrick Mahomes got extremely mad after the after they came off the field. After that play, I think they ran one or two more plays um, and they ended up not getting on, not getting a fourth down conversion, and so they turned the ball over back to the Bills. The Bills ended up winning the game. Patrick Mahomes came to the sideline, smashed his helmet on the sideline. Everybody was kind of you know trying having to hold him back from the refs, I guess, on the sideline. And then even after the game, when the Chiefs and the Bills went to shake hands, Patrick Mahomes was, was still cursing at the refs even on tv i mean tv was showing this and like you know how people you know the the tv cameras they usually cut away from guys that are cursing 
A, it's Patrick Mahomes, and B, it was a huge moment like this, so they did not shy away. They just showed it. They didn't care. So he was doing all that, and then the big kind of uh, the, the big the, the big thing that grabbed the media's attention in this was Patrick Mahomes' attitude towards Josh Allen at the end of the game when Patrick Mahomes went up to him, Josh Allen went in to give him a hug, and you know as the nice guy that Josh Allen is went up to give him a hug and and kind of console him a little bit, and Patrick Mahomes didn't even. I don't think he even said good game. He didn't acknowledge anything about the way that Josh Allen played, which Josh Allen had a great game. And he just was saying things like, you know, effing terrible call. This is ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. So uh, very, it, it was it was pretty classless by Patrick Mahomes. I think that that's kind of a an, an objective point of view at this point. But the topic here, and I guess part of the question here is, does Patrick Mahomes have reason to be so mad over this kind of call? Like we said, that has been kind of overlooked even in the past couple years, but a call that has been more frequent this year, but it takes away from such a special, what would have been such a special play. Does he have reason to be this mad? I can understand it. I I obviously don't necessarily agree. And really nobody would, I think side with Patrick Mahomes in terms of how uh, crazy his antics ended up being. Uh, both obviously had, as, as he had mentioned, towards the refs and towards Josh Allen, who you know had had no impact on how that call was made or you know what what the you know what the end result of the game was going to be. So I, I get where his frustration is coming from, but obviously, right? It's just, I mean, it's it's a call, right? I mean, hey, you look back to the Super Bowl, right? The Chiefs played the Eagles, and on the last play of the game, the Eagles could have scored, and you know there was there was or no, it was um. The, the the Eagles could have forced the third down, you know, forced a, a fourth down, the, the the gotten the ball back and with a chance to tie the game or potentially win. There's defensive holding on the play by James Bradbury, who was a defender on the Eagles. They call the foul and the game's over, right? And that's the Super Bowl. I mean, that's like you know, and but right, he, he, it was a clear defensive holding. James Bradbury after the game literally said, "Yeah, I held him," right? Like th- that's the penalty that you got to call. And and so you know, well, yes, this penalty, offensive offsides, is clearly not as as prevalent as something like defensive holding. It still is in the rule book, and it's a penalty that the refs are calling this year. And and whether that's because you know the player gains an extra step, I I don't really know kind of necessarily what the the genesis of it was. But I think, and they actually interviewed the ref afterwards. One thing that I think is probably pretty important to note here too is that the ref, the actual ref who called you know he called the penalty said that when he looked down the line of scrimmage, because there's always, you know, the refs are kind of, you know, they're 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 on the line of scrimmage to make sure that either, you know, to either, you know, whether there's a defensive player that's coming, you know, usually defensive line, um, you know, that's, you know, neutral neutral zone infraction or just jumping off sides or whatever it may be, or offensive, on the offensive side, you know, a false start by an offensive lineman or, or, or something like that. When he was looking down the line of scrimmage, he couldn't see the ball because Kadarius Tony's, you know, legs and, 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 and shoes and whatever were covering the ball. So I think clearly, like, if that's, if that's if, if it's that simple of a rule to follow, I feel like it's pretty. It would be pretty uh, simple for Kadarius Tony to be able to just check with the ref, and that was the other piece of this that kind of got got a little bit heated. Was that um, you know right uh, when you're a receiver, you always check with the ref. They always you know kind of point to the ref to make sure, hey, you know, am I offsides? Am I not? And the ref will kind of you know nod or acknowledge or whatever, basically saying you're good to go. I'm not going to call, uh, you know, uh, offensive offsides on you here. And it, I didn't see the video. I don't know if you did Hayden. Um, 
but but at first it came out that he didn't check with the ref, and that was his fault to begin with. He should have checked with it. The ref couldn't see the ball when he looked down the line of scrimmage. Therefore, you know, you call the penalty on on Kadarius Tony. But then it, I guess it it got controversial that it looked like he did you know point at the ref, but he didn't necessarily I think like check with the ref. I think he just pointed at him and, and just kind of went on with his business because clearly he didn't move right, and he and he thought that he was fine. Um, and then the last part of this, and you know, just to kind of to kind of get it out, all of my thoughts here kind of right at once is is <laughs> i think so they the ref threw the penalty flag as soon as the ball was snapped right because that's what the penalty is if, if an offensive player is lined up past the line of scrimmage that's a penalty as soon as the ball is snapped similar to if it was defensive offsides right when the when the defensive lineman jumps off sides you know the, the ref throws the penalty immediately now sometimes right the offense is allowed to, they, they you know they kind of continue the play the offense gets a free play and whatever happens happens but the flag is thrown no matter what, and therefore, you know, whatever the result of that play is, is going to also be affected by what that penalty is. In this case, it just happened to be one of the coolest plays potentially in NFL history, right? And so I think that's kind of the part that 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 is that makes this so much more, so much of a bigger deal is the fact that, right, you have the Chiefs and the Bills who have, for the past, you know, three or four years, for, you know, going back five years, that you know, the Chiefs have had a one seed in the AFC five straight years, Um you know, these are two of the best teams in the NFL, you know, in the AFC. They're, they're you know, perennial playoff contenders. You had the, you know, the, the crazy divisional game two years ago with the 13 seconds. You know, the Bills score, they're up, and 13 seconds left for Patrick Mahomes. He goes down and kicks a field goal. You know, they go to overtime. Bills aren't able to get the ball. You know, they changed the overtime rules because of this game that happened in the divisional round of the playoffs. And, and it's just like all of this pent-up energy. They've played each other each of the last four years. I think, you know, over those four years, they played each other like seven times or something crazy. So this is a, this is, you know, kind of brutal into a, a, a really good rivalry with two of the best quarterbacks in the league. And, you know, it's a close game. It's a tight game. It's late. The Bills have been winning the entire time. It's at Arrowhead. You know, the Chiefs are coming back. Mahomes doesn't look like himself. Kelsey's kind of been a shell of himself for the past few weeks. And and then you have this spectacular play with no time, not no time left on the clock, but very little time left on the clock. And Hayden, before, um, said that they were down four. It was actually 20 to 17. So if they had scored here, they would have gone up. Um, they would have gone up four. They would have up 24 to 20. And at that point, uh, the Bills would have had to score a touchdown in order to, to win the game. They, or they Well, they could have. Yeah, but they couldn't. They essentially couldn't have driven down to get a field goal to tie it, send it to overtime, whatever. And so the fact that this play ended up being what it was, as Hayden described, where Travis Kelsey catches the ball, he's, you know, he's, he's running, he can't score, he turns around, Kadarius Tony's there, he throws it. Like, I, I, you, you rarely even see a lateral to begin with, but much less a tight end who has caught the ball and ran, you know, most of the way down the field and then turns around and throws a perfect spiral to another receiver who's like 20 yards away. It was just an insane, insanely cool play. And they scored a touchdown to go up four points to make the Bills have to score a touchdown to win the game. There was so much riding on this play that the offensive offsides makes it so much like the fact that the the play was so cool and the penalty is never called. I think it's kind of where you get this mesh of a perfect storm of why things ended up being so tense as they were. And again, at that point, you can understand like saying it in that sense. I, I, I do understand why Patrick Mahomes was so frustrated because right you 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 get that perfect storm of like this play was insane uh you know and a successfully insane offensive play for the Chiefs combined with a penalty that's barely ever called but again you know it's in the rule books Kadarius Tony broke the rule it's a penalty that's what it is you know if if the, if the Chiefs had you know thrown an incomplete pass on that play 
they would have gone back five yards, same deal, right? And, and Patrick Mahomes wouldn't have been complaining because they would have thrown an incomplete pass and it would have been whatever. So, uh, you know, I think the result of the play is what makes this such a big deal. But I think, the, you know, the, the calling on the field was what it was, and I think it was the correct call um, in general. And, and again, Mahomes, right, he's the ultimate competitor. And, and I think that this is the kind of the first time that we've seen him have an outburst like this. Um, and, you know, I was talking to my friends, and, and really I think this is the first time we've seen him like this because – this is the first time he's been in a situation where, like, you know, either the call didn't go his way or he wasn't able to overcome, yeah. you know, the the immaculate odds and percentages, chances of what he would be able to do to win the game. And so it was kind of like the first time that everything went against him and they lost the game because of it. But I think, you know, given his reaction, you can see, that like, how much every single second of every single game means to him. And I think that really is kind of proves more so. I think thinking big picture, right, he shouldn't have reacted in that way. He came on podcast later on. He, you know, he apologized. He said all he, he needed to say. Um, but to me, I think that that makes me feel good. If I'm a Chiefs fan, being like, this guy cares, like, so much about every single play and every single second that goes on in every game, and he wants to win every game. And, and obviously, right, I mean, the Chiefs haven't, you know, they've, they've lost, what, three or four now. So, you know, there, there's, there's a little bit to do with also kind of, you know, where their season is going that may have impacted his, his reaction a little bit more. But overall, right, he shouldn't have had the reaction he did i understand why he was upset it just was you know the crazy combination of how that play happened with how you know little that that call is made was was kind of i think the result of why everything blew up so much yeah and i think there's another part to this which kind of feeds into the whole thing that matt said about him caring so much for about just the game in general about winning and just going you know trying to go out and get another super bowl with a team around him that isn't that good at all I mean aside from the defense I mean like on the offensive offensive side of the ball he doesn't really have anybody that's the other thing is all season I think this is kind of just a a, a pent-up frustration yeah yeah yeah, emotion like pent-up emotion and frustration with the lack of uh, of of tools and the lack of um you know talent that he has on the offensive side of the ball around him he's not really I mean last year obviously he didn't have Tyreek last year but he, he still like Travis Kelsey was better last year all around Travis Kelsey is another topic that we might have to talk about in the future. I, I heard on another, well, I saw like in social media podcast world, which is kind of a whole different world than podcasts alone. But I saw on TikTok, I think a clip of somebody on, on some podcast saying, uh, it was like some um, former, former pro, I think, who was basically saying that like Travis Kelsey looks old at this point, just the way that he moves around on the field. Like he's, he's kind of going downhill pretty fast in terms of, you know, his, his athleticism and just his overall, like, energy on the field, it looks like. Um, maybe maybe he's kind of suffering from the same thing that Mahomes is, but I don't want to pin anything on him just yet. But other than that, Mahomes has, has nothing, right? Isaiah Pacheco just got hurt, so he wasn't playing in the last game. He's kind of a big part of their offense. Like, I think a lot of their offense now, at least it should, rely heavily pretty heavily on the run game first to open things up for Patrick Mahomes because everybody knows that the Chiefs are going to make the big plays by passing at least most of the time so they're going to be covering the pass most they're going to be double covering uh Travis Kelsey every time because who else do you have on the offense that can catch a ball nobody (laughs) I mean Valdez Scantling has some of the most drops in the NFL I think Kadarius Tony Kadarius Tony has the most drops in the NFL this year uh, so two of Mahomes' receivers are, you know, have have the highest drop percentage in the NFL, basically. Which to think about how they're still in the race for, technically still in the race for the one seed is is actually insane. Like that's it's pretty nuts to, to think about that. They probably won't get it, and that's kind of what we're going to transition to here. But I just wanted to say that, yeah, I, I think that it is kind of a a combination of built up emotions that that Patrick Mahomes has had throughout the season and. 
again, nobody's perfect. He's human. He's going to go out there and, and, and yell at people if, if he feels like it in the moment. He's a competitor. He wants to win. And like Matt said, just because you see this from, from him once doesn't mean that you have to hate on him. I saw so many people saying like, yeah, this is why I hate Mahomes because he cries about every, every call that doesn't go his way. So does every player ever. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like if you, do, if you go out there and you get a call that's, that's kind of bogus and that hasn't been called that much – and, and you know, you lose the game. Yeah, or it's a game that you otherwise would have won. And basically, a rivalry at this point. Like Matt was, like Matt was making a good point. You're gonna have the same reaction. Like if you don't have that same reaction, people are gonna are gonna question your competitiveness. That's the other side of the coin. So uh, I, I really, I really think that people bashing Mahomes for this are, you know, just not either that they haven't played a sport before and they don't really know that feeling, or they they just don't really, yeah, they they just don't really see the importance of the game, which. That's I guess that's fine if if you're not really a big football fan. But anyway, um, moving on to kind of the the next part of this topic, which is the fact that Kansas City has lost three three of their last four. They've had a kind of a hard schedule. You know, they had they had the Eagles as well, so they kind of had had a, a hard four game um, skid here. Well, th- technically three games in the past four they've they've lost, but hard past four games, and they're now down to eight and five, which is a, a pretty tough record at least for the Chiefs and Andy Reid. Um, and so the question here is kind of who do we see coming out of the AFC on top? Obviously, there you know there, there's one lone lone ranger there at the top, which is the Ravens at ten and three right now. And then you've got a kind of a slew of nine and fives, and then you got the eight and fives as well. Well, also a, pr- a pretty big slew of eight and fives as well. So I'm gonna hand it over to Matt um, to just kind of start the conversation on who we see coming out of this AFC. This, you know, the Ravens are a team that he's liked the past few years, and they just haven't really been able to get it done. Maybe to this year is their year. I'm interested interested to see what he has to say about where we see this, you know, this AFC title race going. Yeah, I mean, first I'm going to gloat uh, because I deserve to be able to do that. Hey, and I told you at the beginning, we did okay. our preview. Go back. If <laughs> last you year, too, this, though. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah and they did <laughs> they won last year. They won the division. So, well, yeah. no, I think the Bengals won the division. But yeah, anyway, they, didn't, um, but... they should have beat the Bengals with Tyler Huntley in that first playoff game. So, that whatever. Um, but, yeah, go back and li- if you have absolutely no time on your – absolutely too much time on your hands, please go back and listen to our AFC North yes. preview episode please. that we did in, like, the middle of August. Because I said it. I said, look, this Ravens team is amazing. And, yes, the AFC North is a really tough division. It, you know, it, it, it actually did up kind of end up uh, panning out like that. But I, I, I said on the podcast, I'm like, I think the Ravens are going to get the one seed. And, and it wasn't necessarily, you know – it, it, that wasn't a that wasn't that wasn't necessarily a uh, a common take that that was out there at the time. So because again, you know, you see it, it you know, it happened like Lamar last year with the contract stuff. He gets paid. You know, they bring in um, Todd Munkin, who's who's their who's their offensive coordinator now. You know, he's kind of able to to get to get some better. You know, just just better scheming in there. They draft Zay Flowers to finally give. Well, they draft Zay Flowers and they sign Odell Beckham to finally give. Um, you know, Lamar some you know some some receivers to throw to, and the defense has just been playing out of their minds. Mike McDonald's their defensive coordinator. He'll probably get a, a head coaching position here in the in, in the near future. Um, Kyle Hamilton, their their first round pick from two years ago. He he's turning out to be you know one of the best safeties in the NFL. So this entire team has just come together, and, and I really kind of love the way that it has. They're probably my second favorite team if I had to if I had to choose, and just kind of always have been. Um, and uh, because they're a tough team, right? And John Harbaugh's a great coach, and just everything that they have, I, I, I kind of love the way I love the way that the season was going to set up for them, and it pretty much has played out exactly how I said, right? So, like, I bet the over nine and a half on their season win totals, and they're already they already hit ten, like they're already over that. So, um, so so I think that you know that was kind of a good call by me. They, as Hayden mentioned, they have a game lead right now in terms of kind of the you know the one seed in the AFC. Um, that was obviously made a lot 
uh, well, they 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 that re- that was the result, direct result of the Miami Dolphins blowing a 14 point lead in the last three minutes of the Monday night game against the Titans this past week. Otherwise, Miami would then have the the number one seed. Um, you know, based on the kind of the tiebreakers and everything that, that's in, that's included there. But now, right, it's essentially everybody else is nine and five. Um, the Ravens are ten and three, and. The, the the best part about this, and I think, and that's kind of why I wanted to include the, the you know the question to kind of talk about it here, is the fact that you know there's still so much to be decided. And the best part about this is Hayden, the Ravens and the Dolphins still have to play each other. Like yeah. that's what makes this most the most New Year's exciting. Eve. New Year's Eve. And there you go. Right. It's 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 a it's going to be a party. Um. And and so that I think is going to. I mean, realistically, that's kind of the game that decides everything. But, I mean, you know, the Dolphins still have a game against the Cowboys. The Dolphins still play the Bills in the last game. I mean, literally the Dolphins' remaining schedule, they play the Jets this weekend. That should be a, that should be a dub for the uh, for the Dolphins. And then they play the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills, right, to, to, to finish off the season. Those are those are three of the top teams really in the league, right? Um, and, and, and as we saw, you know, on Monday night, they, did, they couldn't even win a game when they were favored by 14 points over to, over to Titans on Monday night. So, you know, the Dolphins, I, I think – and and that's a team that again that's another team Hayden I bet them to win the Super Bowl at twenty five to one or whatever came on here at the beginning of the season I told everybody that and I was like that's I just I see the ups, the potential upside and if it can turn into something then you know then I'll be happy with it um, so obviously I wasn't necessarily super happy to see them lose uh, in the fashion they did against the against the Titans uh, even more not happy to see Tyreek Hill go down and he'll he'll probably continue to play you know he's listed as day to day he's going to continue to play because he wants to break the receiving yards record I mean that guy is like no matter what he does for the rest of the season it's like if he does anything he's gonna he's gonna get to 2,000 yards um like that's his ultimate goal so I'm not necessarily scared that that he'll like miss any time but I do think that you know if he's limited in any way we saw what that does to that offense I mean they only scored well they scored two offensive touchdowns but they got it was because of two turnovers late that they got like a five-yard touchdown and a seven-yard touchdown their other touchdown was a defensive touchdown so their offense looked really bad you know on on Monday against the Titans and again that's one of those spots where it's, it's like you go into that game you're at home you're favored by 13 points the Titans are reeling they're not good you got Will Levis who knows what the heck that kid's doing and, and and so I can see a, a potential spot where you kind of just overlook it. You don't come in as ready as you normally would be, and you lose the game. Um, I think they're going to clobber the Jets this weekend, despite how well Zach Wilson played last week. And, and I think they'll probably kind of be able to be able to handle that game. Um, and the, but then right, it's like they have a really tough last three games. I and the, the the crazy part is I could see them losing all three of them, right, and at least two of them. And so. If that's the case, it really comes down to, like I said, kind of that that Ravens and Bengals, or sorry, Ravens and Dolphins game, where the, you know the Ravens they play. Um, who do they play this weekend? They play the Jaguars. All right, so this that's is their right. this is their remaining remaining schedule. You talk about the Dolphins having a hard one. They uh, Ravens have the Jags this weekend, then the Niners after that, then the Dolphins of course, Niners. and then and then the Steelers yeah. as their last game, and that game is always a toss up as well. So the Ravens have basically just as tough as a schedule as the Dolphins do. Yeah, yeah. And and so, you know, given that, you then think about, okay, well, who are the other teams that are winning their divisions? Well... (laughs) Enter the Kansas City Chiefs, who yes are yeah. eight and five, but they're two games out of the out of the one seed, and their remaining games are the they play the Patriots this week. They have the Chargers and the Raiders, who are you know, ironically playing this tonight in the Thursday night game of of the ages of uh, Aiden O'Connell and Easton Stick. I yes. mean, you know, what are we talking about? And then a Chiefs last game, I, I forget who it is, but the, essentially they're going to be favored by a lot of points in all of the rest of their four games here, and 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 should be able to win all four of them, and that essentially puts them at twelve and five, right? And you know, we're saying okay. 
you know, the Ravens lose to, you know, potentially the Dolphins and the 49ers, the Ravens end up at 12 and five. And then the Dolphins, you know, they lose to the Ravens and the, you know, and the, and the Cowboys, they end up at 12 and five. And then the Chiefs are 12 and five. It's going to come down to the conference record, essentially, right? Who had a better record against each of their conference opponents. I don't know exactly how that winds up uh, right now. Um, but, but, you know, again, it, it would all, it, it's all going to depend on the, on the few games kind of left here in the season. So I think, you know, as much as we've kind of gone over every single scenario here so far, it's, it's almost like the, the Dolphins looked like, you know, kind of the – if they had looked good on Monday night, Tyreek Hill hadn't gotten hurt, I think the Dolphins would kind of be the kind of the, you know, the the, the, the best – your best bet at, at the team that's going to get the one seed. You know, seeing them kind of – you know, their defense wasn't able to stop Will Levis, you know, twice in the last three minutes of scoring a touchdown. You know, they're leaking a little bit. Tyreek Hill gets injured a little bit. The offense is looking – isn't looking as great. You know, they're kind of falling a little bit. The Ravens are still looking really good, but they have a really tough schedule. They play the 49ers at, you know, at the 49ers – uh, you know, in California. So, uh, you know, that that's probably going to be a loss. Right. Um, and, and, and then, so, yeah. And then obviously you have the chiefs who, who might just be, it might just be Patrick Mahomes, the inevitable. And he comes back from the dead. He gets the one seed for like the sixth. I think they've gotten it five years in a row. Yeah. Right? They, and, and it'll be the sixth year in a row here to be able to host the AC championship as he's done. So um, yeah, so it'll be really interesting, but again, it's almost like all these, these, all these games that are left in the rest of the regular season are going to be able to determine it, which I think is pretty good that like, there's not, you know, kind of one team that's running away with it. Um, it, it could be realistically any of the division winners, probably outside of the Jags, just because, you know, right with Trevor Lawrence and everything and their defense isn't that great. But I think any of those three teams right now that I kind of just mentioned, I think have a good chance to do it. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes also hasn't played a, an away playoff game yeah. in his career. So that, yeah, that kind of summed up when, when Matt said that they've gotten the, the one seed basically every year that Mahomes is, has, has been good and been their quarterback. So pretty incredible stuff there. But uh, with that being said, yeah, I'm not really going to give much my my points on that because Matt kind of covered everything there um, with, you know, the, the top teams in the AFC, just cover, covering how crazy it is and how, how much, uh, I guess, variability we can see uh, coming in the in, in these last few weeks of the season. So moving on to the MVP conversation uh, in the NFL right now, it's it's a pretty hot topic. I'm I'm pretty passionate about this, honestly. This was one of my topics for today. Actually, my technically the only topic I wrote for today because Matt wrote a lot of the other ones uh, before I could get to it. But the MVP, dude, I I can't. Every year it feels like this is going even more downhill. But this year I think it's just ridiculous with. Right now, the, the the betting odds favorite to win MVP is Brock Purdy, and I'm just going to preface this with saying that I love Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant out of Iowa State. He, I think he started like all four years there as um he started as a true freshman at Iowa State. I I love that about him. Played all four years there, I'm pretty sure, and then you know obviously got drafted last overall of uh, by by the 49ers, but has turned out to have a great career and has been a great player in San Francisco. I don't want to take any of that away from him. I think that he's, I think that he is more than a system QB. I'm not going to, I'm not saying he's a system QB, but here is my bone to pick with the MVP conversation. Brock Purdy, if anybody is not even the lower than elite tier QB that should be getting the, the MVP award. I think that if anybody is getting the MVP award, that isn't really in that elite tier. Um, it's probably somebody like Dak because he's had a great season. They always have a great offense, but Dak, I think Dak is, has really shown up this season, especially because Tony Pollard has kind of struggled on the ground. Just the overall ground game in Dallas has just not been what it's been for years. I mean, and it's kind of weird because they just got rid of Zeke and everybody thought that Zeke was kind of holding holding down the ship 
um, in terms of the running game the past few years. But then when once he leaves, Tony Pollard scores his first. I think Tony Pollard scored his first rushing touchdown in week eleven or something like that of the season. Like it was it was something crazy like that. So really weird stuff there in Dallas. But I think that Dak is probably more deserving of it in terms of of a QB that's running an offense that has a lot surrounding him. Um, that's my whole that's my whole problem with this award is that like if you if you're gonna name it the most valuable player, a it shouldn't just be a QB award. Even though QBs are the most important position in football, we all know that if you don't have a good QB, you're not gonna win a Super Bowl. Yada yada yada, whatever. Um, sort of, but also like most valuable. If if there's okay, if there's gonna be a QB award and if it's gonna be the MVP you should make another best QB award. Like you should just make a whole nother award that says, okay, this is the best QB. So we can give it to him. Most valuable player then may lose some merit to it. May not be the most coveted award that the NFL gives out every year, but it should go to somebody that is actually the most important player on their team. I'm going to say two candidates that should receive it over Brock Purdy. And these are kind of, you know, mainstream guys, but we were just talking about Tyree kill and how much of, how much of an impact he has on that offense. We saw how really, really bad that offense was on Monday night without Tyreek Hill. If he does happen to break the receiving record, the receiving yards record this year and get 2,000 yards, I don't think there's any reason why he shouldn't get MVP, um, but they're still not going to give it to him because he's not a quarterback, and it's it's stupid. Like the, the NFL has basically come out, you know, maybe not the NFL itself, but like people that are high up, and voters of this award have basically come out and said that nobody can can win it besides a QB. Or they've, they've said things that have implied that at least. You know, the, the betting odds, and just in terms of like what Vegas knows and the insiders, that the insider information that they have, it's pretty evident that they're not going to give it to a non-QB. Um, the other guy is Christian McCaffrey, a guy that's on Brock Purdy's team who means, I think, a lot more of that team than, than Brock Purdy does. I think that Debo Samuel means more of that team than Brock Purdy does, and I think that Trent Williams also means more of that team. So, And you could, you could argue uh, George Kittle as well. So you could argue that Brock Purdy is the fourth most valuable player on his own team, and he's, gonna, he's the betting odds favorite to win MVP of the league. It doesn't make any sense in my eyes. I know that people might be thinking in their heads like that they could rip me apart on this, but it, I think there's so many arguments that you can make against a QB like Brock Purdy winning it. If a guy like Lamar or Dak won it, I wouldn't have much. I wouldn't have much to say on it. Um, and so I guess I guess you can kind of take that and say, okay, well, we don't really know who exactly is going to win it yet. We don't know if Brock Purdy is going to win it. He hasn't won it yet, so st- like, quit your crying. But right now, I feel like right now the voters have a pretty good idea, or at least Vegas has a pretty good idea of knowing who the voters are are leaning towards. And so unless we see anything really abysmal from Brock Purdy from here on out for the rest of the season. I I don't really see why the odds would change unless Dak throws for like 300 yards and four touchdowns a game for the rest of the season. But I don't think he'll do that. I don't think Lamar will do that either, especially with, you know, Lamar's tough schedule that he has coming up. So I don't know. I, I, I just hate the MVP award at this point. And I think that it's, it, it can't, you can't gatekeep it to quarterbacks. That's stupid. It's kind of becoming the same thing with the Heisman in, in college football, which I, I think that it's probably, I think the Heisman is, is is even more lenient in terms of the position group that they give it to you. But who who was the last non QB MVP in the NFL? Adrian Peterson, twenty twelve. That well, there you go, Matt. That's thank you for that knowledge. But that just that says it all, dude. It's been ten years. It's it's about to be eleven years since a non QB won it. This is 
it, it's just kind of gotten ridiculous at this point. And I don't really know what to make of it. Obviously, I, I don't get to vote on MVP, so I can't really say much about it. But you don't. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like, uh, unfortunately, I don't. But yeah, I, I, I can't really change much. It's just that this is this is an outlet for me to to voice my concerns with the MVP award, which I think is is pretty pressing because if if MVP is going to be coveted as much as it is already, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be this uh, I guess like fraudulent. It's kind of the the only word I can think of right now. So I'm going to turn it over to Matt because my 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 brain is kind of turning to mush with this whole thing. But I got my main points out, and I hope you guys understand where I'm coming from because I think that. This sentiment is 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 felt by a lot of people, but it's not really as important as it is to me, at least. I don't know. I, I just feel strongly about it. Yeah. So I, I got two quick things here. Um, the first is that I I agree. Well, OK, let me let me go with this first is is that essentially the, the reason that Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott are the two favorites to win it right now. And nobody else is really even going to have a chance is because. Essentially, all the AFC teams are beating up on each other. We just talked about it, right? The Ravens and the Dolphins and, you know, whoever. Like, all of your all of your candidates that, that could kind of come from the AFC side have all lost a bunch of games and lost a bunch of games to each other. And nobody has stand, stood, um, stood out as, as kind of that, you know, that, that, you know, for sure leading candidate. Therefore, you go to the NFC and you say, okay, well, there's two dominant teams. It's the, it's the 49ers and the Cowboys. And... As of right now, they're the number one and number two seed in the NFC. And so I think and, and this is what we've seen, you know, for the past really probably five or six years, um, going back, Mahomes won it last year, Aaron Rodgers had the two in a row before that. It basically goes to the best team, best or best player quarterback of the best team, right? And so for this year, essentially what's gonna happen is it's gonna come down to who wins who gets the one seed in the NFC is essentially that's that of the quarterback of that team is going to win the MVP. And that's just that's just that's what's gonna be, and that's because that's what the award has turned into. And I, I agree with Hayden Sentiment that it it shouldn't necessarily be that way. I'm gonna kind of present a, a little bit of a pushback in a little bit, but it is going to come down to who gets the one seed in the NFC. You know, one of those two teams is going to do it. Now, again, we're going to kind of do that. I mean, you know, you can have the same discussion we just did about the, the AFC teams where the Cowboys still have to play the Bills and, and the Dolphins and, you know, the Commanders. And, well, well, I mean, they'll beat the Commanders. But they play the Lions, too. So there's some losable games there for the for the Cowboys. Um, the 49ers, you know, they have a pretty easy schedule. You know, they're, they're 10 or 14-point favorites against the, the Cardinals this week. You know, they do play the Ravens, but they'll probably beat the Ravens, whatever. So, you know, it's it's very likely that the, that the – or it's more likely the 49ers end up being, you know, kind of the one seed in the NFC. And the other thing you have to think about, too, is that the Eagles – Despite how bad they've looked in, in recent weeks, their end of the season schedule is they play the, the Seahawks on Monday night, you know, this coming week. They play the Giants twice, so they have both games against the Giants within the last three weeks of the season. They also play the Cardinals, who are the other worst team in the NFL, right? So the the, 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 the Eagles should win their last four games, and at that point, you know, as, as long as – basically as long as the Cowboys lose one of their remaining games, um, you know, the Eagle, which is probably going to happen, whether it be the Bills or the Dolphins or whatever um, – the Eagles are going to win that division, right? So at that point, the, the Cowboys, you know, Dak Prescott, he may have had, you know, amazing stats and he may the lead, lead, lead the league in passing and passing touchdowns and whatever. But the Cowboys at that point are going to be the fifth seed in the NFC because the, you know, because the Eagles are going to win that division probably. So in that case, you have the 49ers as the one seed and Brock Purdy's the quarterback of the 49ers. I do agree that, you know, right, he, he, he is not 
I think, the best overall player on his team. I do think that, you know, he gets a lot more, like, it's, it's almost, it's the reverse of what we see a lot, where, you know, we'll see, like, a guy like Tommy DeVito, where everybody's going crazy over him right now, but you look at the film, you look at how the way this, this guy actually plays, and he is absolutely terrible. It's the, I think, the opposite with Brock Purdy, where nobody wants to give him credit because of Shanahan's system, because he was Mr. Irrelevant, because he, you know, he played at Iowa State, and he was never really good, that great in college, and so everybody wants to, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, say that he's not as good as he is or is not as good as he looks. And because it's not, you know, he, he's not actually the talent that's behind that. But a lot of the guys who watch film and, you know, and, and who, you know, kind of dissect his play, actually, you know, he is a say that he is a really good quarterback and that, you know, he is maximizing the potential of that Shanahan system. I mean, we, we, we've seen, you know, other players not really be able to pull that off. Jimmy G was kind of the, you know, the next best, I guess. Um, but, but Brock Purdy is playing a heck of a lot better than even Jimmy Garoppolo was able to kind of operate this offense. So he, is a good quarterback and I know Hayden did say that at the beginning and I and I, I know where he was going with that so I'm not saying that he's wrong in that but I I do want to say that if you're kind of the you know the fan out there who's like oh screw Brock Priority like he's not good because of the 49ers he he is absolutely maximizing the potential of what that offense can do obviously yes he has Christian McCaffrey Debo Samuel and George Kittle as his you know as his skill players Brandon Ayuk is having a you know a breakout year this year as well so you know right he is surrounded by a lot of talent in my mind, again, I don't really – at this point, the only thing I'm going to say is that there is the NFL MVP, and then there is also an award called the NFL Offensive Player of the Year. And in that case, at least what it's been for the last 10 years, ever since Adrian Peterson won in 2012, the quarterback the best, the, the quarterback of the best team has won the MVP, and then the best overall player outside of that has won NFL Offensive Player of the Year. I think the only – I think Patrick Mahomes did it in his first MVP season where he won the MVP and the Offensive Player of the Year just because, I mean, he – broke the, the passing yards record and did everything um, possible. In that case, yeah, you did kind of deserve to win both of them. But but essentially since then, because we've had so many great seasons by these skill position players, both running backs and wide receivers, we've seen kind of you know the, the offensive player of the year award kind of become that kind of next level MVP, or essentially the MVP of the league outside of the quarterback award. So I do agree with Hayden to where you know we should be considering other players, non-quarterback you know, non players for the MVP award. But I think it would almost be because that's kind of we kind of already have it that way to begin with. I think we should almost just rename the awards and just have yeah. most valuable quarterback and then most valuable. I mean, I don't know if you do MVP, most valuable position, whatever. But like, I, th I do think that there should be kind of equal level awards to where we do have a quarterback because that is the most important position. It's the hardest position to play, and it's it's hard to be good at it. And so you should be rewarded for being the best player at that position on the best team. So I do think there should be an award specifically for quarterbacks, and then there also should be award an award that is equal level, but for you know kind of your your other position players. Because seriously, I mean, as Hayden said, Tyreek Hill is is that offense, right? I mean, his speed allows the entire offense to work, and and when he's not there, and we've seen that what it looks like when he's not there, uh, it's 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 not that great. And Tua was getting a bunch of MVP talk early in the season because his stats were so gaudy, and then you know Tyreek Hill went down one game, and Tua looks like he doesn't know where to throw the ball, right? So so I think that you know we do kind of see that in my mind Tyreek Hill I think you know if, if I was to pick the most most valuable player in my mind I think it's Tyreek Hill this year but I do understand that you need to give credit to a quarterback because that is the hardest position to play and it is hard to be good at that position uh but again for a guy like Brock Purdy I mean even right the 49ers defense is amazing right I mean so it's it's there's there's other pieces to making a great team and so you know for a team that gets the one seed you know that doesn't necessarily mean that that quarterback has been the best quarterback of the league all year um in fact Josh Allen I think is leading the league in in, in passing yards EPA uh, the expected points added that like you know weird stat that like 
takes into account everything and game state and all that stuff. I think Josh Allen has technically been the best quarterback statistically this year um, yeah. in terms of just like what he's done overall for his team. But again, we don't want stats to decide all the stuff. So whatever. Um, so, so that's again, that's kind of my thoughts on it. I think it would solve everything if we just had a simply, you know, a, a most valuable quarterback. And that can be the quarterback of the one seed or the best team or whatever team with the best record. And then but an equal level kind of like, you know, really fighting for, you know, is it going to be Justin Jefferson? Is it going to be Tyreek Hill, Kesha McCaffrey, you know, kind of a skill position player award that, that would really reward them for doing something great throughout the season um, because it would be really crazy. And I think this is actually a possibility to see what would happen if Tyreek Hill breaks the receiving yards record this year and like gets the most receiving yards ever in the history of the NFL and, and most season yard, most receiving yards in a season in NFL history. And then it's like, that's going to, that will be what, decides like do you give the the MVP to Brock Purdy who is just the best player on the be- or be- is just the quarterback of the best overall team or the player that you know did something that's never done been done statistically in the NFL before yeah that's that's my thing that's my bone to pick is like dude it if Tyreek Hill does this and that's very possible to happen too. yeah like, they're he, still he's not, not going to give it far to him. away yeah there there's no way they give it to him even i mean cuz that is so far inside the realm of possibility Tyreek Hill breaking the receiving record and still nobody is even really like considering him at least you know i think betting odds wise like i don't I don't think that he's even within a striking distance of, of brock Purdy right now he might be but I, I don't know i haven't really taken a, a deep dive in it but anyway that's enough nfl we, we spent a good amount of time on nfl we got to get these three other topics in uh college football will be one and then nba mlb will be kind of short ones at the end we'll kind of just go you know have have like one takes on those and go through those fast so let's move on to college football so after some wildly unexpected results, this is kind of late. Uh, we're going to be talking about the college football playoff here. Again, it's kind of late because this, this happened a, a couple weeks ago, but we have to talk about it because, I mean, it's 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 a huge topic. It still is. And there's like a whole investigation on it now, which I don't <laughs> – that's something that's kind of funny to me. I don't really understand how and why that's happening. But like I said, after some wildly unexpected results on championship weekend, um, the college football playoff committee – chose to leave out an undefeated Power 5 champion in Florida State for the first time ever uh, in, in college football playoff history, which this was something that I was pretty I, w- I was pretty surprised about, I, I won't lie. Um, but that's just the thing, is that the college football playoff committee says that, they're, that they value one thing every year, like year in, year, year out. I mean, that's that's been one of their backbone pieces or arguments for any power five team getting in that's been undefeated is that, okay, if you're a power five team, you're undefeated. You obviously won your conference championship. I don't care if the ACC is worse than, or has become worse than the PAC 12 and the big 12 at this point. I don't care about that. They're undefeated. So they're going to make it in, right? Like we we've seen that before in past years where a team kind of just slides in without really having as much merit as, as you know, a, an eleven and one Alabama team that didn't that didn't get in, which I think Alabama has actually made it in every single year, but um, maybe or except for maybe last. No, year. there's been a, there's been a few. They've they've made it like half the time. There's been ten. Really? And they've made it like about half. Of them. Dude, I feel uh, okay. Well, because Georgia made like it the past, each of the past th- three years. I guess they. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. So. Alabama didn't really make it a couple of those years. Anyway, um, but yeah, like we we've seen teams that were undefeated slide in over teams that had one loss or, or even two losses that seemed better at the, at the, even at the end of the season there. Uh, so this is, you know, this has happened in the past, but this year it just so happened with the matchup between Alabama and Texas 
and the fact that Texas beat Alabama and then Alabama beat Georgia in the SEC championship, that was the perfect storm to get Florida State left out of of the playoff, along with, obviously, Jordan Travis's injury and Florida State's pretty uh, horrid win over um, uh, Louisville Louisville in, in the ACC championship. So... Kind of all things considered, uh, we're, we're just going to kind of go big picture here. How do we reconcile the age-old argument of choosing the best teams to, to join the playoff over the most deserving teams or versus the most deserving teams? Because in the past, it has been – we've seen more more of the most deserving teams get in with the best record. But now, this year, we're, we really saw the exploit of the best teams getting in over – the most deserving teams in Florida State. So, Matt, what do you think? Well, again, just just if you ha- okay, in case you haven't heard this been talked about on every single podcast and every single TV show, the biggest question here is is as Hayden just mentioned, right? It's it's previously the college football playoff has been, you know, right. You you, you if you win all of your games, you deserve a chance to play for the national championship. Well, win all your games and and be a certain level of of caliber of, of competition, essentially, right in the Power Five, um, and. That's that has that has historically worked in terms of you know what teams get in and what teams don't, and specific examples of this even just going back in the last two years, Cincinnati two years ago went thirteen and zero. They were in the AAC, mind you. They're right. They're not even a Power Five conference. They're in the AAC. They go thirteen and zero. They win their conference championship. They go on and they and they make it into the college football playoff, right? And it's the biggest deal because it's the you know the first non Power Five team. To, to make it in the college football it's actually the only non-power five team that made it to the college football playoff in its four team uh format for those you know for those 10 years and guess what happened it got blown absolutely blown out of the water by Alabama right and 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 it wasn't even a competition but the the principle remained that Cincinnati because they won all of their games those kids that played their 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 hearts out the entire year had a chance to compete for a national championship we all knew what well, they weren't going to win it but they had a chance to do it, okay? TCU, last year. They win all their games in the regular season. They play Kansas State in the Big 12 championship, and they lose in overtime to Kansas State. Enough things happened outside of that, and that's, again, why kind of this year is so different. Enough things happened outside of that to where other teams that were kind of on the outside looking in lost, either in the last you know, the last game of the regular season or in their conference championship, such that TCU had the best resume or, or a was deserving enough to still make it in the college football playoff. They play Michigan. They win that game outright as an eight- or nine-point underdog or whatever. They go and play Georgia in the national championship, and they lose 65-7. to That's not the important thing, though, okay? The important thing is that they won a game in the college football, football playoff when they should have never even been, you know, a, a, a candidate to get there in the first place based on the, you know, kind of rules that the college football playoff ended up choosing the teams for this year. It sounds complicated, but essentially here, here's, here's, the, here's the argument, really, at the end of the day. It's the fact that Florida State, at the beginning of the season – the coaches, everybody involved with that program, the athletic director, they gather their players and they say, hey, if we go out, we have a really good team this year, right? If we go out there and we win every single game that are on our schedule, we will have a chance to be to compete for the national championship because that is what the, that is what the standard has been. We are the most, you know, at that point, you're the, you're the most deserving team. You, you know, you deserve to get in. Obviously, if there's, you know, more than four undefeated Power Five champions, which has never happened and probably never will, um, you know, then okay, you have an argument that the that the ACC is the is the least 
you know, least competitive of the power of the power five conferences, whatever, whatever. But at this point, right, that's essentially what happened. <laughs> and right. And, and, and that's what Florida State did, obviously, in their, again, throwaway game against North Alabama. Uh, Travis, Jordan Travis gets uh, drop, hip drop tackled and, and breaks his leg, and he's out for the rest of the season. They bring in the backup. He's not that good. They play their last regular season game against Florida. Florida's, uh, Florida's not that great. Um, Florida State ends up winning that game. They then play the ACC championship against Louisville who is a really good team, 10-2 and two in the regular season. They lost their last game against Kentucky. If they had won that, they'd be top 10, 11-1. They beat Louisville, but it what, was 16-6, I think. Yeah, um, and it was like it was like 3-0, or it was, I think it was 0-0 until like the last few minutes of before the first half. Yeah. Ended, something like that. So, right. So, not convincing. Okay, but they won the games, and I think that's... And that is that is the, the 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 what the argument comes to here is essentially what the committee did was they said hey, Florida State is not as good without Jordan Travis and that is a very fair argument. But then they said well so that automatically makes Alabama better even though Alabama lost a game in the regular season to Texas who was already going to be in the college football playoff because they'd won all their games and they beat Bama and all this stuff. So the the, the argument comes down to Alabama and, and Florida State who deserves to be in more well. It depends. It depends what your it depends what your 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 definition of it is. It, is it is it the best or is it the most deserving? In this case, the best is Alabama. The most deserving is Florida State. And all throughout the college football playoff history, the committee has gone with the most deserving. As I mentioned, Cincinnati, TCU. These are teams that should have never been in there if we were going with the best four teams in college football. They chose the best, or they went. They they decided to choose the best over the most deserving. And we landed with Alabama. And the, the the main argument with this, this is kind of what I'm going to lead Hayden into here, is if we're choosing the what we think, and, and again, this is what they project the best teams to be. If you line up Alabama and Florida State, Alabama's going to be favored in that game. Cool. If we're going to play games based on the spreads, or if we're going to play games based on the stats and the, what the spreadsheets say, then there's no point in playing the games. Because at that point... You, you already decide who wins just based on the point spread. That doesn't really matter, though, because as we saw, Washington beat Oregon outright as a 10-point underdog in the Pac-12 championship. Last year, TCU beat Michigan outright as an 8-point underdog. It happens. There's upsets. So if we base everything off of the, what the spreadsheet's saying, what the point spread would be, then what's the reason for even playing the games? And therefore, Florida State has an argument for, you know, I think a very good argument for, you know, being mad about, about and being upset about why they were not included. Now, again... This goes against my other kind of, you know, the the other side of me, which is a gambling man and, and someone who takes, you know, point spreads into consideration a lot to see, hey, Michigan, Alabama and Texas, Washington, those are the two, those are those are the best game. Look, that that combination would give you, you know, the, the best games, because if Florida State was in that four spot playing Michigan, Florida State would probably be a 10 point underdog against Michigan. Right. So you get the entertainment value of the better teams being in. But again, there's no reason for playing the games if we're just going off a spreadsheet. And if we were going off a spreadsheet, this is what I'll leave you on, Hayden. Georgia, they were number one the entire season. Okay, they were number one the entire season. They should still they are still power rated as one of the best teams in college football. If we're going based off the spreadsheets, if we're going off the best teams, so if you're gonna put in Alabama over Florida State, I think Georgia should be in too. Because Georgia lost their game against one of the other top five teams in the country. That's the only game they lost in the regular season. They blew out everybody else they played. So Georgia should technically be in if we're gonna if we're gonna use this argument too. So you just it gets very messy and obviously, you know, that's I, I love it. I just love thinking about it and hearing people talk about it because of the you know how how many scenarios had to go right in order for us to even end up here in the first place. But at the end of the day, that's the argument is that Florida State did all that they could. They could not have done anything more and 
depending on what you say, and I might I, I might add another point at the end, is that we have seen a an instance of a third string or backup quarterback play. It was actually in the first ever college football playoff. It was Ohio State. It was Cardell Jones. They get in as the four seed. They end up winning the entire national championship. And so there's a precedent also for a backup quarterback who took over essentially at the very end of the season and ended up winning it all. Florida State would be in the exact same position. You never know what can happen. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point. I think that last point by you, Matt, was was probably the best that you made, um, or at least the best one that most people haven't really heard of. I actually hadn't even really thought of that either, but that makes perfect sense of and, why yeah, Florida and, State shouldn't have got in. And there. since you weren't going to get into it, I'll just say the reason that Ohio State got in in that scenario with a backup quarterback, they played Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship, and they won the game 59 to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so if Florida State had gone out there and beaten Louisville 59 to nothing, Florida State would definitely be in this college football yeah. playoff. I, that, exactly, and that's part of the reason why they didn't get in is because of that game. Is because of that horrible performance against Louisville, and everybody was saying like, "Oh, they were able to stop, you know, prevent Louisville's offense from scoring a touchdown." That's insane because Florida State's defense is so good. Yeah, they have probably they definitely have a top five defense in the country, but it is that offense that was struggling a lot, and that's that's what the committee looked at. And again, it, it was it was the perfect storm. It all comes back down to. Texas beating Alabama. If Texas didn't beat Alabama, I think that we'd probably even see Georgia get in at the four seed instead of Alabama. I think, or, I mean, in, instead of Texas. Well, Texas wouldn't be in it at all, yeah. obviously. And then Alabama would move up to three, and I think that we would probably see Georgia jump Florida State even, um, even though they lost their, their conference championship against Alabama. And it, it would have been, I think that would have been even easier for, for people to kind of handle because people would say, oh, obviously – SEC almost always has two teams in the playoff. Like that's you know that's that's been a thing. We've seen that before. We've seen Georgia and Alabama in the playoff together so many times before. So that that just makes more sense than it does to have Texas in there. But I think that you know people are kind of diverting their issues with Texas being which again Texas should be in. I I don't I'm not denying that at all. But it's just it's just it just so happened that Texas and Alabama played this year and it was that upset at the time that happened that just screwed everything up like it was it, it was actually insane so I'm, I'm gonna give my my take on this and this is it's a pretty simple one um but I I'm gonna go out and say that before this year I never heard the committee once say that injuries mattered in 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 choosing um a playoff team maybe maybe they did say that back when Cardell Jones was playing for Ohio State but they didn't really need to because Ohio State like Matt said wasn't left out so they didn't really have an excuse to make saying that oh the the, the starting quarterback got hurt so we we're not going to let in Florida State right they didn't they didn't have to make that excuse with, with the Ohio State team um, when who was it J T Barrett that got hurt I think you're right yeah, yeah. so um, they didn't have to make that excuse when J T Barrett got hurt right because Florida I mean Ohio State still made it in but the thing with Florida State um, and the thing with this with this whole year and like Matt said this kind of this kind of goes along with uh, with with betting odds and everything like that. I think the committee had to make up this excuse about about taking injuries into consideration this year because of the perfect storm that happened and also I don't I would not be surprised if the committee or this, the committee is somehow tied to all the money that that goes into putting on the production of and, and kind of like the 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 channel deals um that all the money that goes into yeah putting on the ga- the games on TV putting the games in the in the venues that they're at all that money is probably tied in some way to the college football playoff or at least the college football playoff is probably 
told by networks and stuff like that. Like, there's probably so many things that go on behind the scenes well, it's, it, it, involving they, money. The college football playoff is is part. They're they're their own entity, but they partner with ESPN. That's why you see every Tuesday they come out with their you know rankings of you know four yeah. weeks before the season. They broadcast the college football playoff release show on ESPN, and then at that point, both the semifinal games and the national championship are broadcast on ESPN. Right. Yeah. So well, I guess so. Okay. So that makes sense. To what I'm saying, so ESPN probably paid them, or or at least said like you need to put in the best team so that we get the best ratings, or so that the most people watch. Because guess what? If on New Year's Eve, say we have say we have Florida State playing against Michigan, right? So you have you have Michigan as the one seed, Florida State as the four seed. You have Michigan, Florida State playing, and then you have um, I don't know, like Liberty LSU. Like which which game are you watching? I'm and. Again, Jordan Travis is hurt. Like it's it's everything taken into consideration. Which game are you watching? In my opinion, I'm I'm gonna be totally honest here. I'm probably watching the Liberty LSU game over that game. unless it's a blowout. Obviously, whatever. It depends on what's happening during the game. But to start out the game, if both games are playing at the same time on New Year's Eve, Michigan Florida State and then LSU Liberty, I'm probably gonna watch Liberty at first just to see if they they can do something against um against LSU because I know that Florida State. Would not do anything against against Michigan. We we we've seen Michigan dominate. Um, you know, at the end of the season, even when Harbaugh was out, they still got it done. Like they, I mean, we we've seen that happen. So I don't think that it would even really be a question as to whether the TV ratings would be the same because they wouldn't be. I I know that ESPN wouldn't be seeing the same viewership in that case if they let Florida State in. So that's my that's what I think it is. I think that it's pretty. I mean, I, I think that's pretty reasonable because the I the, all of college, all of sports at this point, and especially college football, revolves around money now. And we know that ESPN is going to get a lot more money out of having Alabama and Texas in the playoff. And that's, I mean, that's period point play. I can't really state it any clearer than that. I will say, you mentioned the injury thing, making excuses for the injury. There is, and I heard this on another podcast, so I'm not going to say that it's the full truth, but it is a podcast that I very much trust to be telling the truth. There is a clause in some page of the levels of sanctity of the college football playoffs you know manifest that does say that there is they they are able to take into consideration like equal level of player or there's some it doesn't say like if your best player gets injured but it essentially says like if if or and also i mean there was the covid thing and whatever and it does make sense i mean if you think about it, it does make sense like if you're only choosing four teams, you had you had to assume that this is going to happen at some point. So I do think that they have a clause in there that says that they are able, or that they that is one thing that they will take into consideration when choosing the the, the teams that they're going to play. But again, their motto since the beginning of this thing has been: if you are the most deserving, we were choosing the most deserving teams and not the best teams. And in this case, Florida State is still the most deserving team, regardless of whether or not they have their starting quarterback. Yeah. Who again is the best player on their team? He was a Heisman candidate. He's the reason the Florida State was so good. But Florida State won their two last games, and they're you know arguably you know two of their hardest games, uh, you know, with backup quarterbacks, and 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 you know still finished the season undefeated. Yeah, and and I believe that. I'm not I'm not doubting that there is anything that's that's in the college football playoff manifesto, like Matt said. That doesn't say I'm not I'm not saying that there's nothing that says that injuries are taken into account. I'm sure that there's so I mean you know you probably look in there and say like. Oh, Jordan Travis's left nostril is bigger than JJ McCarthy's, so they should make it like that. Yeah, that's probably in there somewhere. There's probably so many, so so many rules. I'm just saying, like in in the rules that they've really, really valued in the past, and that they've like put forth as these are our hallmark rules and our hallmark differences 
that that we look at closely, it's never really br- been brought up. I guess because there hasn't really been a situation yeah, for it yeah. to be brought up. But again, it's just like I don't know. It it, it feels a little bit fishy. It feels a little bit yeah. yeah it, and and, and that's that's the thing I'll close it out on. There's two things that I'm going to mention here really quickly. A this is the first again, amazingly, in the ten years that we've been doing this, this is the first time where something like this has happened because there's been so many teams crowded at the top with zero or run losses where it is it necessitates someone to be absolutely royally screwed because the other option to this essentially is leaving it the SEC out of the potential to win the national championship of college football that and we you, you you almost can't do that right because the best team the two best teams in the world or in the in the country are, reside in the SEC and if you're leaving the SEC out you know you you don't have the best teams to be able to compete for a national championship so that's the first piece right is is the fact that the, the way that the games happened this year with Texas beating Alabama, Alabama beating Georgia, and you having that kind of love triangle of teams that, that you, you, you can't really leave two of them out, but you have to keep them in there, but, you know, whatever. Um, that has never – that hadn't happened previously. And so, you know, you kind of get all that – Hayden said at the beginning it was a perfect storm. I, I completely agree. Like this perfect storm of teams that won with zero – or teams that ended the season with zero one losses – there was no, there was never really a precedent for this that had happened in any other year before, which is why it makes it so much, you know, so much crazier this year, and and, and why you know a team like Florida State kind of got got screwed more than any other team has in the history of the college football playoff. The other thing I will say though, to completely close this out, it won't matter anymore because there's no more 14 playoff. It'll be 12 from here on out, and I don't think that we're going to be arguing, you know, should Penn State get in over Ole Miss uh, as importantly as it will be an undefeated Power Five conference champion making it or not. Yeah, that's uh, that's completely right. All right, let's move into NBA real quick. Just talk about the in-season tournament. Um, the Lakers won the the inaugural in-season tournament this year, and they actually hung a banner um, in, in, in their stadium because of that, which is, is kind of funny in a way. But despite the controversial court designs and the confusing nature of how the tournament actually worked, um, did the NBA actually achieve its goal of garnering attention during a time of, of the sports calendar that it otherwise never did because we know that while football is still going on, nobody cares about the NBA, and that's including me. I like I guarantee you I haven't watched more than five minutes of an NBA game this season, so I'm going to kind of, kind of leave myself out of this conversation because, I mean, I think that like just numbers-wise, I will, I will give you – I'll precedent or I'll um, precede what Matt's going to say with this numbers wise yes it did I think that um the championship between the well it was Lakers and Pacers right yeah that, yeah so the championship um for the end season tournament between the Lakers and Pacers was the got the highest amount of viewership in a regular season game since like uh February of, of 2018 or something like that so just a little stat for you but most viewed regular season game in five years for the NBA so yes numbers wise and objectively it did garner more viewership and that was its goal i guess but matt go ahead yeah no it did it definitely did and and you know want to know why it's because lebron it's because lebron won it and the lakers won it and it's because they took this and and again lebron he's just he's he's the ultimate the ultimate like money he just he understands business he understands how things work he he knows the nba and again he's probably in their pockets or whatever but this was only successful because LeBron won it and the Lakers won it, right? Like that is the biggest deal here is because they they took it seriously enough to want to win all of the games, to want to win the in-season tournament, and to hang a banner no less in doing so. 
if if it had been you know the Pacers and 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 the and the Timberwolves in the in the championship here, yeah, okay, Anthony Edwards would have would have gone crazy, and the Timberwolves are probably a bad example because they're actually the one seed in the West right now. You know, the Mavericks or what, like some random team that's like you know in the middle of the pack in both conferences make it to the championship of this of this final and yeah all the players make an extra five hundred thousand dollars that's great you know good good for them but it's not going to draw the viewership as Hayden mentioned you know that it did simply because it was LeBron and AD and the Lakers were playing and it was this Pacer team with Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin and all these guys who were kind of younger up-and-coming guys who you know are gonna you know this team is gonna be great one day um you know against the kind of the team that has you know won a championship already and LeBron's the best player in the world and potentially ever and like you know AD can go off at any minute it that he wants to but but they had to take this seriously a good team with stars on it had to take this team with a you know with a with a big mark behind it market behind it too had to take this game in this in this tournament seriously in order for this to be a success and that's exactly what happened but it's all because of lebron i mean otherwise what's the point nobody really cares nobody's gonna watch but lebron's like hey i understand this i know this needs to be you know a thing going forward i'm gonna put my best foot forward i'm gonna go off for 38 points i'm gonna win the in-season tournament the inaugural one that happens and from here on out it'll be a big deal simply because lebron did it with the lakers in the first one yeah that's exactly right um also in basketball news brownie did play in his first college game at usc uh this past week or I think it was earlier in the week. It was like Monday or something like that. Um, and LeBron was there, and that was huge. Oh, and then, yeah, and Bronny had this, like, they called it a chase down block. It sort of, he blocked it off the backboard, but it wasn't, I mean, they were comparing it, obviously, to LeBron's chase down block in the finals and, like, whatever it was, 2018, 2019. And, it, yeah, it, I, I just hated that. Like, that made me so mad. Because social media obviously blew up because of it. And Bronny had, what, he had, like, four points or something yeah it was it was pretty bad but anyway um moving on to our last topic here quickly which is the mlb shohei otani obviously we're going to talk about the big man otani um going to the dodgers he signed the richest contract in the history of professional sports over the weekend if you if you didn't know that now you do 700 million dollars over 10 years so 70 million dollars a year which is absolutely nuts however he deferred 97% of the money, which is $680 million. If you can't do the math, we did it for you. Uh, he, de- he deferred 97% of the money for 10 years in order to free up money for the Dodgers to use elsewhere. This is a pretty I, – I th- this is kind of a, a – I think a common thing that we're seeing now. It's, it's not like – not everybody does it, but I'm pretty sure Aaron Rodgers did that. Like he deferred a lot of his money. Um, I think he deferred – it was $102 million or $103 million to um, his second year in New York. And it it didn't really co- like I don't think the report said it was because he wanted to free up money for other people to sign, but I think it was. I think that was kind of the idea was that the Jets would be able able to go out and get another a, a good star if Aaron Rodgers was actually able to make it through the first game of the season. Um, you probably would have seen them make a pretty big move uh, right before the trade deadline or in free agency, whatever. Um, to sign like a, a veteran player, kind of like the Rams did when they won the Super Bowl. But anyway, talking about MLB here, yeah, Shohei Otani deferring a lot of the money so the Dodgers can make a move. Um, is this a smarter move for Shohei Otani for the player, or is it a smarter move for the team just in general, Matt? Smarter move for the team, definitely. And just to kind of explain how this works now, because he deferred the money, again, I'm not a professional in this. I know how it works, and even me explaining this probably not going to make very much sense. But essentially, because of the way that the luxury tax works, based on the owners who are paying out, because there's no scout, there's no salary cap in baseball, and so the owners essentially are, are, are the ones who are paying all this extra money to Otani to be able to get him. 
And because of the way he's deferring the contract and the way that the taxes work on the money that Otani is going to be owed, the contract, it's still the richest in baseball history, but it's not $700 million over 10 years, not $70 million a year. If you remember, Aaron Judge signed $9 million, or sorry, nine, nine years for, I think, $360 million or whatever, um, you know, three, three or four months ago. The contract essentially is going to be like 10 – it's going to work out to like 10 years, $450 million. So obviously, again, it's about half just because of the way the, the, the taxes and the deferment work. Again, I, the, the finances are, are extremely weird with these with these uh, you know professional professional sports teams. But so it, it's not as – and it was the same with Patrick Mahomes. Right? He, he signed 10 years, $50 million. Like he defers some of it. He's getting paid over – you know, they have bonuses, incentives, and all that other stuff. So it's, it's not essentially like – and then they do the you see the breakdowns Hayden, like on Instagram it's like Dasani's yeah. making like four dollars and eighty cents a second yeah and like every and he pitches is like you know a, a new like a Ferrari or whatever so yes technically that's the way the math works out but it's not necessarily how it's going to work out in the long run in terms of how much Otani's going to get paid but it it I I see the story and I think this is just classic like the rest of the world how the rest of the world thinks about like sports and teams and money and just people in general versus how Americans would where Otani is like, he's, he's making $2 million a year. He's the best, probably the best athlete at his sport in the entire world. And he's making $2 million a year. Whereas any other American taking this contract would be like, yeah, give me my 70. I deserve it. And it's just like, he's just like this happy guy from Japan who doesn't know how to speak English. And he's just like, yeah, I'm the best in the world. I don't really care. I'm not going to make that much money anyway. Let's just win and go win a championship. Like I just, it just is so funny to me because if this was a role reverse and American was, was making this amount of money, we wouldn't be hearing about this deferment at all. He would be making it all. He'd be he'd want it all right now, and he would not give his chance a better his team a better chance to win uh, to win the championship. He would just want to take his money so he can buy a golf course or something. Yeah, he'd be like, give me a couple cheeseburgers on top of it. Yeah. Um, yeah so that's gonna wrap up the episode for today. Thank you guys for uh, listening. We got to go skedaddle. We're seeing um, Napoleon, the, the the new movie. Seen it with our dad, and our dad's already seen it, but he's already in the car waiting for us. So we got to skedaddle on out of here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Glad to be back for this month um, from mid-December till mid-January. Super super pumped to be back on the grind. Expect weekly uploads for the next about four weeks, and we will catch you in the next episode. Again, um, thank you guys for the, the continued support. If you're still listening from the hiatus that we had, we love you. So thank you for that. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>